good to see you and catch up. Yes. Barbera 2019 from Mm -hmm. Restoration. I feel like it's finally red wine weather, which makes me very happy. Absolutely. I like white wine, but I'm not, like I wouldn't drink a whole bottle of white wine, but red, like over the course of an evening, just slow sipping. I can do it. Mm -hmm. I just love the flavors of it. But in the summer, it doesn't sit too well in Palisade. Yeah. I drink red all all year long and same with rosé, but I definitely understand that feeling of winter, Merlot, Barbera, Cap Franc. Are you totally uh, red wine? You don't do any whites? No, I do. I will, um, you know, support all <laughs> all types of wine, but I definitely lean more towards bigger reds. You have to really love wine to do your job. Yes. Because it's every day. <laughs> yes. Every day. Yeah, for sure. Restoration was the first winery I fell in love with in Palisade. Really? Yeah. When I first moved here, I poked around a little bit, but was just still trying to find my way. Mm-hmm. And then my mom came out to visit, and she loves wine, so we hit it a little harder. Mm-hmm. And we ended up at Restoration for just an all-afternoon kind of thing. And Were Gary and Linda up there? I met Gary there. Yeah, okay. I didn't meet Linda till later. But, yeah, Gary was super nice, and I don't remember exactly who else was there at that time. This was years ago. But I, my first impression was like, okay, this is a small little tasting room. This is kind of, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not quite sure what this is. But then we went outside and sat. And it's just the whole thing opened up to me and just hearing Gary's story and everything behind it. And I think their wine is awesome. Yeah. So it's just, it's really, my mom actually signed me up for a membership there. Uh, oh, it's nice. like the a welcome club? present yeah, oh, nice. for the first year. Good. So I've just always had a, a connection with it. How did you get into wine? Um, I, the job actually, my background is in um, management and human resource management and a minor in dance um, through the Uh, college or what is now the University of Mesa and I applied for this position at CAVE when I just finished school when I first graduated and um, joked with the board that the board at the time that hired me that I had no background in wine and my background was in nonprofit and volunteer management and fundraising and event management and so whenever we bring on board members and do like strategic meetings and things like that my favorite question to ask is what was the first glass of wine or first wine you drank because that really I think brings people together because at that time I was drinking like Carlo Rossi (laughs) and so (laughs) I came in with no two buck chuck no wine knowledge whatsoever (laughs) and so through my position I've been here um 12 years my 13 year anniversary will be next February wow and so it's all come with working here and working with the industry and running events like the conference we have coming up in January and working with those speakers and bringing folks in from all over the world and being able to sit in in those sessions and chatting with folks and working with our lobbyists and and just kind of learning with everybody we interact with so was that intimidating to work for a wine organization when you hadn't really gotten into wine Yes, uh, on the wine aspect for sure, but I came in with the background and like very clear knowledge of the organization needing that restructuring to continue on. So I came in with the goal of we want this organization to succeed, we want the industry to, to succeed. So looking at the budget and looking at the events and having the business background is what I what motivated me and, and really what kept me motivated to continue on. And then learning about wine and learning about the industry was just added bonus. So. And now you're the executive director. Yeah. <laughs> what year did you become the ED? When I was hired. Oh, it was the first year, right <laughs> yeah. off the bat. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I thought you were saying you came in <laughs> no. at a lower level and then <laughs> no. were cause promoted. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. 
So they didn't quiz you on wine or make you do a taste test? No, and I was very like honest. Um, the We are a 501c6 nonprofit, so we have the ability to lobby, um, and we're kind of set up like a chamber of commerce. And when I was hired, I was very honest. Again, like we, the organization at the time didn't lobby, and I had no background in legislation or lobbying or anything like that, but I could see the potential for CAVE taking on those programs. And again, wanting to learn together with boards and our committee and the industry itself. Um, and so it's been really exciting to see the legislation we've passed and working with um, our legislative committee and a phenomenal lobbyist and, and that team. But again, back in 2012, I, that was my biggest concern was no wine knowledge and not having um, that legislative background. But we've yeah. come a very long way. I mean... That's admirable. It's so funny in life how we end up doing things that we could never predict in a million mm -hmm. years, right? Like I'm sure your whole time in college, you were looking at the Valley. Maybe you had an idea of Palisade up and coming, but that was more than a decade ago. I'm mm -hmm. sure the wine industry looked a lot different back Very. then. Yep. What was it like when you first came in? Um, when I first started, we had, I want to say about 20 wineries here locally. And uh, statewide, I think we had about 135 statewide. And so just a very new, you know, for sure growing industry. And I had the pleasure um, to work very closely with the Colorado Wine Industry Development Board that had a ton of historical knowledge. Doug Kasky actually just retired in June, and he had been the director for a decade or so prior to, to me coming on. And so that um, historical knowledge was immensely helpful and being able to work with board members that had wineries for five, 10, 15 years was very helpful as well. So I could see that there was kind of, we were on the cusp of growing the industry and marketing the industry. And I did not know how far we were going and, you know, to look back now and see how far um, the industry's come and how much we have grown. The biggest event we run is Colorado Mountain Wine Fest, of course. And so to take a look back and see how far from 2023 to 2012 that event it just in, it's, in and of itself has grown is, is really exciting as well. Um, but now, I mean, we're at over 35 wineries here at, locally in the Grand Valley and over 170 in the state. And then just huge accolades and growth and quality of wine and media and press and so it's it's really exciting to see how far we've come just in the in my time yeah <laughs> i was shocked that it was the 32nd correct me if i'm mm -hmm. wrong mountain wine fest it feels everything is so recent here mm -hmm. because the hype is, is new yeah but i was looking at that and thought 32 years holy crap yeah. what was the first one like so the first one was in 1992 and it happened in our memorial park here in palisade and from our historical knowledge, obviously I was not around. I was very small <laughs> at the time. But the first one in 1992 was just a handful of wineries, kind of our pioneer wineries in the state and or, you know, regionally, of course, um, five wineries and less than 500 attendees. Five wineries? Mm -hmm. All from Palisade? Yes. Wow. And we have some really great photos like on a poster board that I think a, a prior board member or prior volunteer gifted us, which... I think belong in a museum somewhere. It's amazing to see the event and the seminars that were part of the event. And and then it just continued to grow. And the organization itself continued to grow. So CAVE was originally named Rocky Mountain Association of Vintners and Viticulturalists, or RMAVV, and uh, was established in the late 80s. And an all-volunteer organization, all-volunteer board, and very regional. So obviously the Rocky Mountain title. Um, just to support the growers and the winemakers. 
And that first wine fest was established because of the what everybody saw the potential in the wine industry. And it really launched because of RMAVV, or what is now CAVE, the Colorado Wine Industry, Wine Industry Development Board and Visit Grand Junction. Those three entities came together and started this event because they saw the potential and future success of the wine industry and wanted to create that event and establish that back in 92. I think it was funded through those other two organizations for, I believe, three or four years. And then RMAVV or now CAVE just, um, it became our largest fundraiser. And then, uh, it outgrew Memorial, I think, in 2010 and moved to Riverbend Park. And then I came in 2012, and it's been at Riverbend ever since. What were the seminars? You said you have some stuff back from – do you yeah, remember what they were talking about? Because five – what were the five wineries? Um, Are they still around? Yeah. No, not all of them. Plum no. Creek was one of them. Plum Creek. Um, Grand River, Plum Creek, Colorado Cellars, Debec. And they're gone oh, now, right? This is a quiz, yeah. And one more, and I cannot – the last one is escaping me. Um, but that's crazy. But educational seminars, seminars very similar to like what we did this year where it's uh, food and wine pairings. Um, Jenny Baldwin Eaton was there. Um, and so she's a huge wealth of knowledge. Um, I'm trying to have her on soon. And she just did one of our seminars or several of our seminars at Winefest uh, this year. I just wonder looking back because my like, understanding of the history of talking to winemakers is that it was kind of more of a hobby when it first got going and just farmers who happen to have grapes and were just whatever fooling around. So I'd be so curious to see what, you know what you should do with that old poster? You should give it to the Palisade Historical oh, yeah. Museum. That's a great idea. Priscilla Walker would yeah. love it. Yeah. They're always looking for I'll that kind of Priscilla. stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, this year was awesome. It was the first year I've ever attended. Oh, yeah. And I really liked the sparkling wine se mm -hmm. seminar. I thought that was really neat because going around to the tables is nice. If you live here, you have been to a lot you of these wineries yeah. so it's not like you have to hit every one so mm -hmm. it's like okay what else should i do to have the sparkling seminar was perfect because correct me if i'm wrong i feel like sparkling is the new thing in palisade it's very trendy it has been around for a while it's just finally catching up i think with consumers and um it's very similar to like canned wine or other different modes to like different vessels <laughs> to serve wine but i had actually was just chatting with uh, one of our members in one of our wineries, um, Rick at Colorado Cellars. They've been doing sparkling for a while, but it's just now catching on of um, from media and publications and things like that. Of um, And like our uh, conference at Vinco, we've been bringing in speakers and keynotes to do different seminars and tastings and workshops with the industry for many, many years. So it's just that education and promotion to really get it out for the industry as a whole. And then events like um, that educational seminar, Wine Fest, where we're able to get in front of a couple thousand folks from all over the, not only all over the state, but all over the world um, and showcase what we're doing is really exciting. How did Wine Fest look from your end? Amazing. Yeah. It used to be two days, right? No, just no. one year. It was two days. Just um, one year. And it was the year after COVID for us to kind of work with the Colorado Health Department and break it up logistically and space everybody out. So 2021 was the year we did And that's this. the only year. It's mm -hmm. Okay. Because I remember that and I thought yeah. this year, I'm like, wow, why is it only one, one yeah. day this year? Yeah. Cool. What did you think of it from your end? You, I saw you, you were running around in a golf cart, yeah. throwing bottles of water at people. Yes, <laughs> yes. hydrating everybody. Yeah. Um, it was fantastic. We had great attendance. We always um, knock on wood luck out with our weather. 
Yeah, it was on beautiful Saturday, day. so we had a beautiful day in the park. We had attendees from 44 states and four or five countries this year, which is really exciting. How do you folks... track that when they buy the ticket? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we send surveys out. I think it's really exciting to see that folks are attending from all over and want to share their time and energy with us in Palisade and learn more about Colorado wine. We also track um, information on our volunteers. Melinda Treadway is our volunteer coordinator and program director and runs um, and works with over 350 volunteers, again, from all over the country. And that, I think, is so amazing that folks will donate and, you know, support three hours of their day to, you know, work in the park with us and, and spend their time with wine, working for Wine Fest. Yeah, and uh, it's your biggest Sunday. fundraiser, mm-hmm. right? And so you yeah. guys, what kind of money do you guys make off this? I mean, maybe you're not going to tell me the exact <laughs> amount, but is this like a million dollar no, no, for God, you guys? No, 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 not that much at all. No. <laughs> um, we are a nonprofit. We don't make that much money. How really much do you money. make? I mean, this office is pretty nice here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely our largest fundraiser. It is the majority of um, the reason we're able to operate. All of the proceeds from that event go back into not only the industry and our membership, but it helps fund events like our conference we have um, in January. It's called VINCO, our VINCO uh, conference and trade show. And then we also are able to do other fun events like um, educational seminars, tastings, our lobbyists, you know, it helps fund fun things like that. And that's all for our membership, whether you're a commercially licensed winery or grower or an amateur winemaker, or we also have an allied trade partner option. So those would be folks like ETS Labs. So it's a very niche industry or member rather that works on like panels, juice panels, things like that, or you know, cork companies, bottling companies, things like that. Do you believe that people in Palisade or the Grand Valley really get what Cave is doing? No. Okay. So <laughs> I will be very honest with you. No. Because it's such an, uh, we are a very niche industry association. We've actually been working with our marketing company, our board, <clears throat> and our marketing committee to really kind of revamp and tell our story a little more of what CAVE is and what we do because we do so many different things throughout the year. Obviously, the consumers know us for WineFest. Our industry knows us for WineFest and Vinco. Um, but there's so much we do behind the scenes um, that unless you are a winemaker or grower, you wouldn't know about the bills we've been passing for the last eight years or the amateur winemaker competition that is coming up or the sensory analysis seminars we do throughout the year. So Yeah, well, let's talk about some of it. <laughs> Curious. So I have a lot of questions. Yeah. Do you guys, I'm guessing you're outside of these events. I understand all that. I think that's the most publicly visible thing you guys do. Do you, are you doing active marketing for the region as a whole in terms of reaching out to publications and journalists and trade events and things like that? Yes and no. We don't market on behalf of the industry to the degree that the wine board does just because we don't have the budget. We market the, the marketing we do nationally and statewide is done through events like Winefest. Okay. And so that's when you would see like, you know, we're, we had 53 wineries from across the state at that event, and we will um, work for uh, or work towards bringing in media from around the state and around the nation under press passes to come in for that event. Everybody is there at one location. It's all put together. It's, it's makes just, sense. It, yeah. it makes the most sense rather than working on fam tours, unless we're working on 
FAM tours or familiarization tours through the Tourism Advisory Board, through Colorado Tourism Office, through the Wine Board. Visit Grand Junction, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So that'd be the one event we throw marketing and work through uh, pressers and things like that with. If a winery wants to market themselves, mm -hmm. can they come to you and say, hey, how should I go? Do you offer... Absolutely. Kind of counseling and research. And then that conference that uh, we spoke about in January, we have, it's a multi-track, multi-day event, and there's business and marketing tracks in there. We bring, usually we bring our marketing company to do sessions on the holy trinity of Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, what's going on, how to do boosted ads, what is your website looking like. Um, we also, depending on the year, we'll bring workshops together on advertising, print campaigns, geolocate or geofencing, things like that. And that's all geared towards small businesses, AKA wineries and yeah. um, growers or bottle designs, label designs, things like that. And that is all through the conference itself. Oh, that's perfect. And that's an industry event. Mm -hmm. it's not and it's open to anybody, but if you're interested in the wine industry or grape growing or, or our trade show component, anything like that, that that takes place in January. Yeah, but Cave is not giving direction to like say, hey guys, sparkling's really trendy right now. I really advise you all to make a sparkling wine and this way we can market that. Or are you guys giving any bird's not eye on, level advice like that? Not on that level unless it would be through the conference. Okay. So we, and it, that really depends on who is coming, the They'll seminars. They'll talk about industry trends, mm -hmm, exactly. things like that. And then it's up to the wine Correct. maker. Yep. And we are just the... Like the facilitator almost, Mel and I, we work on the logistics, booking the rooms, coordinating all of that. We really lean on the industry itself to guide us of who we who they want um, to speak because our joke, Mel and I don't make wine. We don't grow grapes. So we have a, a phenomenal education committee. Um, this year it was like 25 or 30 folks that are cave members, members of the industry, members of um, C CSU, CMU Tech now, that really lead that charge of who they're working with, who they'd like to see, who they've seen at other conferences. And then we do the um, kind of logistics of reaching out, booking them, getting them in the room, working the schedule, things like that. So. And your membership platform is like a chamber of commerce mm -hmm. where people would pay, pay a membership a yearly, to join. An annual fee, but yeah. every does every winery in Palisade join, or is Almost. there some that don't? Yeah, there's always a yes. few that don't. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about this lobbying that you do. Yeah, so we have a phenomenal lobbyist. Her name is Stephanie Hicks. She's over on the Front Range, and we've worked with her for six, seven plus years now, and uh, we have. All of our legislative reports and all of the bills we've successfully passed on our website at winecolorado.org if you're interested in like learning more about that. Every bill except the one we passed this session has been voted through unanimously with the exception of this one. I think we missed two votes. <laughs> what are they generally aimed um, at, these bills? Like what's wrong? What was wrong before that needed to be fixed? Yes. So the one we did this year was our alcohol beverage festival participation bill. I had to pull this up because the names are quite long. That's pretty long. Um, yeah. <laughs> we just called the festival bill. Uh, and this one allows, this was a really exciting one. And I, we joke, this is like our legacy bill. So this allows wineries to attend up to 52 festivals in a calendar year. Whereas in 2021, when this bill originally passed, um, the festival bill, they could only attend nine in a calendar year. A winery could only go to nine festivals? Yes. And it was very detrimental to their bottom line. They were being contacted 
through liquor enforcement uh, to no fault of their own, just because this was a big shift that wasn't, um, you know, nobody was really made aware of it. So we, a lot of them, this is their, this is how they make money. They have smaller, they're in rural areas. This is their tasting room. Of course. Or this is how they are utilizing their tasting room rather. So we want to make sure that they're able to access the market and attend these festivals and, you know, meet their consumers and get their wine and in front of folks. Why was and they, to only do nine a year was yeah. Why was that limited? Why that number nine? It just was something that wasn't caught when that original bill that we did not write in 2021 yeah. is passed. So this was kind of a cleanup of um, we worked very hard to ensure that they would be able to attend 52 a year. Which if you do the math, they could go to one a week if they wanted yeah, to. That's a lot <laughs> or, of work too. Uh, but. Yes, but and we wanted to set that very high because we see the projected growth in the industry and potential festivals and things like that. So that was a really big one. Um, we've done uh, in the past. We've allowed our kind of our cork and carry bill that passed in 2018 very similar to a restaurant where if you go to a, a winery or a tasting room purchase a bottle of wine begin to drink it and decide you don't want to finish it you're now able to cork that bottle of wine and, and take it off premise That's instead huge. of having to finish it and feel like you need to finish that bottle of wine yeah. we don't want that um, that seems just so common that, sense. Yeah. So if it's people a lot of feel they need to finish, we, they're going to drive drunk. Exactly. Yeah. So things that we just started looking through the liquor code and just some legislation and realized exactly what you just said, things that just weren't there that definitely should have been. So we just started working through some legislation and easy legislative fixes, which, again, that I mentioned earlier, it was common sense legislation, which is why we're very proud of our record of, like, unanimous, of course. This yeah. makes sense. So. But yeah. somebody voted against the nine festival thing? Yeah, and I think they were um, not present or... Oh, it's that doesn't count. Very, yeah, it's a, the liquor code and um, alcohol legislation is a lot, if you ask anybody that's like trying to permit something. So it also, we can see why people are like, what? This doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have the time to... But that's all with the state all. level, right? Mm -hmm. Have you had to deal with Mesa County or Town of Palisade or Grand Junction mm -hmm. on things like this? No, well? we did work... This last, I guess, the year and a half or so, we've been working with um, the commissioners on land use code, kind of rewriting the land use code and working with our wineries here and not only wineries, but farms in general, just um, the right to farm and what that means for them and allowing more freedom and so right now like wineries ha are able to have live music and tasting rooms and and wine club events and things like that so just changing that um general information in the land use code because it, i don't believe it had been updated for a decade or more wow so when we were able to have a seat at that table and actually define agritourism in the land use code which had never been defined before which is a really big step forward in not only for wineries, but lavender farms, our orchards, our you pick um, orchards, the brewery, all of those folks. So it just goes to show how much the area has changed, mm -hmm. right? Because none of this was in the code before because yeah. it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. It never come up. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're having people with ag land want to make tasting rooms and have a lot of events. Mm -hmm. And I know restoration went through a big thing yes. last year. Yeah, Gary was actually very instrumental in, in those conversations and same with the Charles Talbot and the Talbots. Being a lobbyist sounds kind of cool. <laughs> I guess it depends. Like political lobbying, we yes. always associate with such a combustible nature. But doing for something like this, we're uh -huh. just you're getting common sense yes. things ironed out, yeah. and it's really benefiting the tourism area. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, and small businesses. And, yeah, yeah, like the cork and carry thing is huge. Mm -hmm. I feel like that makes people buy more wine. Mm -hmm. 
So you guys stay busy. Yes. And you just went. <laughs> we don't really have a slow season. Your events are spread out enough where mm-hmm. now you're preparing for Vinco. Mm-hmm. And so it just starts all over again. Yeah. And you do a lot more than just working on CAVE. You just went to the Colorado Tourism Summit. Yes. Is that correct? Uh, Colorado Governor's Tourism Conference. Okay. Yes. And that was in Fort Collins. Yes. And that's what you were telling me before we came on, how it took you eight hours to get yes. from Fort Collins back here. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. Yes. Well, thanks for paying the price. No worries. Tell us what you did there. So uh, the we call it GovCon as a, the, our little shortened version. Um, and I've been attending GovCon since 2018, maybe? And it travels each year to a new location. It's an awesome um, conference, and it's put on by the Colorado Tourism Office. It was hosted in Grand Junction one year, which was really exciting. And it's several days of tourism-focused sessions. We did a lot of like sustainability practices, DEAI workshops. Um, DEAI? Diversity, equity, inclusion, ah, accessibility. Okay. A lot of keynote speakers, uh, kind of a state of the industry updates they had they actually one of the keynotes was a lobbyist from a national level on tourism which was really exciting of kind of projections of international tourists and where folks are coming from where they aren't coming from how they're spending their money how they aren't spending their money in the states um, which was very insightful for a very hyper local view on palisade on the wine industry and, and you can take all of those insights for whatever your industry is whether it's ski snow, whitewater rafting. Um, so it's really great to just meet with folks from the tourism sector all across the state. Um, and there's representation from all four corners in everything and anything you could think of in the industry. So casinos, hotel, lodging. Yeah, it's a, it's a great time. So any takeaways for here in Palisade that you were thinking about or looking yeah, into? Yeah, it was... Along the same lines of what we've been discussing in Tourism Advisory Board of our um, lodging is down, but it's not just us. It's down statewide and it's down nationwide um, and looking at how we can bounce back and reach different folks Any reasons in the for that? future. The economy. Oh, okay. Yeah, just <laughs> other mean, than inflation and yeah, everything being expensive. Yeah, I was like, God, I went to the, yeah, I went Gas, to the grocery store this week and I was like, Jesus. It's so, bad. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. Not I was easy. looking at flights the other day to go to Phoenix, mm-hmm. and it was over a thousand dollars. Now it, it shifted. The next day it was a little cheaper, but the, some of the prices are just getting it's outrageous. Yeah, and when you're having those discussions, and you are in the tourism industry, or you have a destination you're trying to market, it becomes really clear that what has been working in the past is not working anymore. Of oh, we have a wine industry, or we have orchards. So come spend your dollars with us. You really need to go above and beyond and make somebody make those decisions of why they're going to spend $600 or, you know, whatever that price tag is to come visit you. It's what has worked in the past isn't isn't going to cut it anymore. So it was a great, it was very insightful to have those discussions with folks that, again, are in all different sectors of the tourism industry across the state and what's working for them, what's not working for them. I also graduated from the uh, leadership journey, Colorado Tourism Leadership Journey, which was a program I went through in 2019. So I ran a, a silent auction and was able to connect with a lot of folks that I've worked with um, over the past several years, which was great. And what again, was the leadership program conversations that you did? Um, it was, um, it was like life changing. Really? Yeah. What was it? Highly recommend anybody in the tourism industry to apply for it. Um, it's, the Colorado Tourism Leadership Journey, so it's very experiential. You 
pay um it's like two thousand twenty five hundred dollars but that auction we just did is helping to offset costs so if you need a scholarship or child care you can apply for those they've already selected the class for this coming year and it's for entry mid-level or high-level folks in the industry in the tourism industry so the tourism industry is all of us like anything bar hotel restaurant owner, hotel yeah. absolutely and you go to i think four or five experiences uh, over the next over a year um, and they're usually two or three days and you get to visit your own state you get to be a tourist in your own state so the year i did it we went to colorado springs and stayed at the broadmoor mm, nice um, beautiful place yeah, yeah. and i Tough have not life. been there since i was so little <laughs> but you get to meet with the head of these lodging properties and talk about what works in their industry and why they have the retention they do, what they do in the off season. We met, we went to, uh, I'm trying to think of where else we visited. Like I think Breck was one of our experiences. Denver was one. So you get to travel. Oh, Fort Collins was one of my experiences and they always do several hours of like actual leadership development book. You, you know, you read certain books on leadership and development, small groups, things like that. And then, these uh, kind of outings, like we did whitewater rafting or oh, things, so whatever fun. is applicable to your, whatever that um, destination involves. Um, but you really see the state you live in in a new perspective and you're able to speak more eloquently and highly of like when travelers come in and they want to go visit somewhere, I can now speak to Fort Collins like I could never before or you know, a mountain town or Colorado Springs or Pueblo, um, which is fantastic. You described it as life-changing. It, wa it was insane. What was your personal yeah. growth from this other um, than the industry knowledge? <laughs> yeah, the industry knowledge is yeah. great. Um, I've always been a pretty private person or like compartmentalized of family, work, friends. Um, and it was uh, definitely finding new like vulnerabilities about myself, being able to open up more about myself and personal life and things like that and definitely see the change in working with the board, working with um, sponsors and community and customer service. And yeah, it do was amazing. You, do you feel working in such a public office job, high visibility has made you want to compartmentalize it like that? Because if you're just an open book, then yes. everyone knows your business <laughs> kind of vibe. Right? I would say yes. <laughs> and then the fact of when I started, I was young when I started, so I think that has something to do with it as well. Yeah, not many people have the same job as long as you have, especially <laughs> around when they're these days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you ever, do you feel like you're going to just continue on this path forever? Like, what do I you? I love it. I mean, every day is different. Um, being able to, the the relationships and networking I have with the community is something that I wish I wish upon people like being able to have so much vested interest in who you work for or who you work with rather um, the community members the attendees I mean we have people that have come to Winefest for 15 or 20 years I know them I know their children I know like their life story um, the sponsors that um, are part of the event that obviously we would not be the event would not be possible without our sponsors a lot of those came with me from college so I worked with some of these businesses when I was doing different projects at Mesa and then got this position. And I was like, hey, you know, I have this event. Would you want to be part of it? And so these are contacts um, 
and honest friends that I've been working with for like 15 years now. Yeah. Um, You've never had to say goodbye because mm-hmm. you're always yeah, here. Yeah, we're just here. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Do you have to drink a lot for your job? <laughs> At events, we do tastings and things like that, but... I don't normally. I mean, at Wine Fest, not at all. Yeah. Wine Week, not at all. You don't have some and weekly winery you visit to keep up on what's happening? And- we try to go out to the community as much as possible. And I that is something I want to do more of, honestly, is just be available more for um, like our happy hours, our wine club events and things like that. And that's something we've definitely had discussions with our board and committees of just what our bandwidth is. <laughs> And like you and I were chatting about just like your body needs a break and you need to sleep. Totally. <laughs> so there's only one of us. There's only one of me and one of Mel. So we try and, you know, yeah, take but that be hard going to events. Because there's so many. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing about Palisade is that everyone likes to drink. Mm-hmm. So whenever you meet with someone, there's oh, and you're always with a winemaker or yes. a brewer. And it's yes. like, try this bottle of wine. And before you know it, you're like, ugh. Yeah. And our other... Um, my personal concern and something that's raised a lot with our membership is we're in Palisade and we can't forget about our wineries in the North Fork, the wineries on the Four Corners, the wineries on the Friend Range. Mm. So doing events to include everybody and make sure everybody's voice is heard is something. Because you represent con- wineries on everywhere. the Front Range too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. How do you stay in touch with them? We do newsletters. We do events. Um, we try and do a roundtable or like a traveling um, kind of meet and greet or or networking events several times a year as well but it is very difficult and covid made it harder we were doing quarterly meetups cave quarterly meetups that were kind of rotating through different regions before covid that worked really really well and then obviously everybody knows what happened in 2020 so they weren't they went virtual and then everybody you know everybody's so busy so it's very difficult to get 50 of us together in a room on a date that works well for everybody that nobody's bottling nobody's harvesting nobody has juice coming in so have you ever designed a statewide road trip for wine tasting where you would fly into denver rent a car and then make the journey throughout the state to visit a bunch of regions i love that have you ever done it no we've not the wine board between the wine board and then we also work with a state viticultural extension specialist um, and a state viticulturalist dr horse gaspari and charlotte oliver they've done road trips for webinars and seminars and series uh, of the such that travel, maybe they split the state in half or in quarters um, and do parts like, you know, I think they just went to Canyon City and that section of the state and do a couple seminars at a time and things like that. But we haven't done a big do all 170 over a course of a year. I mean, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that it'd be cool if there were resources where someone could land in Denver, mm-hmm. rent a car, check out Denver, visit some front range wine wineries, mm-hmm. and then take I-70, come over to Palisade, head down. I mean, that would be a huge trip. But I feel like people do that in California, right? Oh, yeah. They, they drive the one, mm-hmm. quote unquote, and then they'll visit San Luis Obispo, mm-hmm. Paso Robles, go up to Sonoma, Napa, mm-hmm. San Inez outside of Santa Barbara. So you could visit multiple regions, and that's a very structural way to do that. Mm-hmm. How do you, when you tell people in the industry – outside of Colorado, about Colorado wine, what is their perception of our industry to date? Do you get laughs or no. people like, oh, that's cute? You no, know, <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 
Kyle and I, Kyle's the uh, director of the Colorado Wine Industry Development Board. Both he and I sit on um, Wine America's board, which is a national wine. How many boards are you on? Too many. Jesus. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a very structured calendar. I keep. Yeah. Um, but Wine America is a national board, and they have a like a subcommittee called SRAC. There's just a lot of acronyms in the wine industry, but SRAC is made up of all executive directors of very similar associations like CAVE. So the executive director of Texas Wine and Grape, the executive director of California Wine Association, so on and so forth. And it's such a phenomenal board and industry or board and committee to be part of where you're sitting with like-minded folks and associations and nonprofits that are going through all of the same budgetary issues, lobbying issues, board, you know, just everything that you're dealing with as an executive director for a wine nonprofit, but on a national scale and seeing trends of what's happening on the East Coast, what's happening on the West Coast, what's happening in Iowa wine, Maryland, like industries smaller or on the same scale as Colorado. So we are all in it together nationwide, and we definitely do not have that perception I don't think of like oh Colorado oh my gosh what are you doing so um, being part of that association is um, huge 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 and it's such an amazing group of people that are supportive they're there to listen they're there to help Um, we work with a lot of the same issues on that legislative side so it's fantastic I heard once this could be made up but I'm pretty sure it's mostly true that all 50 states have a wine industry Mm -hmm. And because of some, so- of like some a, sort, yeah, one level or yeah, another. like even Hawaii yeah. has multiple wineries, uh-huh. which is weird. And yeah, and because of tasting and tourism, mm-hmm. they can survive mm-hmm. and grapes can kind of survive anywhere and yeah. make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Virginia has some great wineries. Oh, yeah. Do you travel the country a lot going to different wine regions? I your, try to. Are you over it? You're like, no, I don't want to no, no, deal no. with wine. Or no, not again. at all. I don't get to as much as I would love to. I... The last time I went to a conference was way before COVID, and it was the, um, I think it was the Texas mar- Marketing Conference, or maybe it was just held in Texas, but um, again, great opportunity to get wineries from all over in one location and learn about marketing and tourism. I am headed to Chile. You are? Uh-huh. When? Um, at the end of this month on a delegation trip, but it's all around tourism, hospitality, uh, green tourism and of course wine industry. What is delegation? Chill. I mean, for your job, yeah. like you're going for cave. Yes. Awesome. Yes. You're going to Valparaiso? Santiago. Oh. oh, but yes, after I get to stay a little bit longer and do a wine tour, but Chile is uh, the sixth largest wine producer in the world. So having, I know CSU is bringing folks, um, the governor's office and staff, Oedit, uh, our mayor of Grand Junction and the mayor of Denver are attending. So it's an amazing opportunity to connect with folks that in our state may not be as um, aware of Colorado wine and then also make those connections with the Chilean wine industry as well. And I believe on the last, it's a whole week of um, seminars and sessions and workshops. And on the last day, they're really focused on wine. And I get to present on Colorado wine. You do? Down there. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I'm really excited to share what we do um, and our wine industry. And What is the name of this? Co- it's the Biennials of the Biennial of the Americas. So it's an or- organization I believe Hickenlooper helped start many, many years ago. And He's all about the booze, isn't he? <laughs> Any love him. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's really exciting. It's all regions from the states going to Chile, or yes. it's South then, American wineries no, and stuff so too. No, so all Colorado traveling to Santiago, and then Santiago will have their delegates presenting on 
hospitality, wine industry, tourism, um, while we're there for, I think it's the 23rd through the 28th. That's so awesome. Mm -hmm. Are you pumped? Very excited. Yeah. yeah. Have you been to South America it's before? Like I'm, it's finally becoming real after the last several weeks of Wine Fest and conference. Yeah, you had the Wine Fest build up and yes. then GovCo. Yes. And then you had a wedding, personal, yes. you said, and yes. now you're dealing with me. And then it's like, boom, <laughs> no, one thing after another. No, I'm excited. And no, uh, to answer your question, I've not um, been to South America. I have been to Central America. I lived in Costa Rica for two years, but not, my tutor was Chilean, but I've never been there myself. So. You lived in Costa Rica mm -hmm. for two years. Yeah. What, what were you doing there? Puerto Vida. Yes. That was the name of our surf shop. <laughs> nice. You worked at a surf shop? <laughs> we owned one. Really? Yes. Who's we? My family and I. You did? Uh-huh. All right. How did that happen? That's <laughs> so, so random. I was, I grew up in Castle Rock on the Front Range. Yep. Born and raised there. And then when I was 13, my family so it's my mom and my dad amy and brad and then i have a younger brother cooper and we moved down to costa rica just fan your dad was like we're doing it yes like and i'm over it let's wanted, do it yeah i wanted to own and operate a own and operate a surf shop so how old were you i was 13 my brother was 10 do you remember these family meetings where your dad's like, <laughs> we're, going. we're going to costa rica so we were down there for about two years and we lived in Jaco and Playa Hermosa and Estrioso Oeste. Wow. And our surf shop went, was in Jaco, and it was a trip and a half, man. Jaco's kind of wild. It is now. Yeah. We were oh. there 2000 to 2002. It's much more mellow, mm -hmm. just kind of getting started. Yeah. How was your experience? What did you think? It was amazing. I would never, I would never trade it in for anything. And I moved back and um, tried to start high school. I couldn't get in right away, but... It was a big culture shock and shift of being down there 13 to 15 for those like very formative years and coming back and starting high school um, and just being very grateful for the lifestyle a lot of folks have in this country was amazing. Like we, I didn't have hot water. We didn't really have clean drinking water. Your lights don't turn on and off all the time. <laughs> How would you get drinking water? Uh, we would just have bottled water. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you moved down just as all your friends were probably entering a freshman year of high school. Uh, middle school. So I never went to middle school. You didn't go to middle school. We were homeschooled. I went to a private school for like a month <laughs> and then we're homeschooled. In Costa Rica, yeah. you were homeschooled. Yeah. Okay. I think that's great though. You hit the nail on the head as a traveler myself. You know, you go around and you get such perspective. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that upsets me so much about today's culture is just the tendency to complain about life in America. And I understand we're not a perfect place. Mm -hmm. I understand there's a lot of issues we still need to work on. Mm -hmm. But so many people talk about it as if this is like the worst place ever and I'm going to move to Canada and all this crap. And it's like, dude, you have no perspective on yeah. like 95% of the world would switch places with you in a heartbeat, mm -hmm. right? It's especially when anything politically is going on, you'll be in another country and a lot of travelers, at least the ones I've been in circles with, you know, they like to tiptoe around because they feel like people in Africa or Europe are going to judge them for the politics happening. And Europe, Western Europe, that's especially true. Mm -hmm. I mean, you sit down with the Brits or the Germans and they're going to try and rattle off. Yes. I mean, the Germans, you can kind of push back on for obvious reasons. They don't have a perfect history. The Brits, they think they're perfect, but they're the ones that conquered so much of the world too. But just having these conversations, I notice Americans tend to be very tepid. Some of them even will like sew the Canadian flag on their backpack because they want to. And it's just like, dude, then you go to a place like Africa and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm from the States and 
people's eyes light up and they're like, oh my God. And then a lot, of, I've seen this happen. Someone will be like, oh yeah, but you know, we're sorry, this and that. And the people are looking at him like, what are you talking about? Like you live in the most amazing country mm -hmm. on earth. So I think that's so important to travel when you're young mm -hmm. to get a sense. Again, we're not perfect, but you go to a place like Costa Rica and you have this experience where, wow, the life I have in America is pretty good. You know, the quality of life is really nice. My access to medicine, mm -hmm. water, things like that. It's it's a great. Yeah. I'm glad you, you guys did that. Yeah. Was that the intent of your dad or was he just trying to live out his fantasy of owning a surf <laughs> shop in Costa Rica? <laughs> yeah. Um, most, you know, definitely wanting to go down there and open a surf shop. Um, we ended up coming back because of things that happened in, in a country like Costa Rica. So uh, we owned and operated a surf shop for those two years. We had a pro um, surfer that rode on our surfboards. My dad shaped every day, which was really cool. We judged surf competitions. Um, we taught surf lessons. and You taught surf lessons? Mm -hmm. That's and so cool. My, yeah, my brother became fluent in Spanish in like a month. It was a little harder for me, hence the Chilean tutor. And yeah, it was just amazing. And our... Surf shop was robbed. This all happened within like a little, I don't know, maybe three, four months. But uh, our surf shop was robbed. I was diagnosed with a neurological disease. I have epilepsy. I have juvenile myoclonic epilepsy. And then I needed to start high school. So all of those things kind of compounded. And I think it was like a family meeting. Like, eh, I think it's time to go home. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it might be time to go back to the States and go to, um, you know, a neurologist here, start high school and, you know, start our life back in the States again. Were there a lot of other expats down there? Tons. Okay. Yeah. We, I consider like a second family, um, a Canadian family down there, Denise and, um, her boys were phenomenal surfers and I still keep in touch with them to this day. And I, the last time I traveled down there was maybe 2016 or 2015 and the, um, Hako has changed a bunch. The country's kind of more or less the same, but that town particularly has um, grown quite a bit. Were you? Did you guys feel like you were targeted with this robbery? That's why I asked about other expats, or yeah, was it just kind of random? No, I think definitely. I mean, with what we were, um, kind of one of our competitive advantages was um, all original. Like a lot of folks, you know, it's Central and South America. It's all counterfeit rip curl or quicksilver or whatever. So we were bringing in original rip curl dragon like all of that surf stuff from um our contacts down in california and like obviously making those surfboards and things like that and yeah so it, and the they still watches, when you say you got robbed they took your merchandise all, everything like everything was gone uh -huh. did you guys ever figure out who did it i don't think so oh, no. <laughs> i mean i think it was probably somebody we knew but yeah, yeah it's yeah it's rough so. and what is this neurological disease you got that sounds horrible did you get it there or well, i was just diagnosed just, with just it diagnosed. There, yeah. okay mm -hmm. epilepsy yeah so you would just faint pass out or seizures oh my god <laughs> i wish it was just fainting <laughs> wow does that yeah. still trouble you today yeah oh my god yeah Sometimes they go, I mean, like that particular, like juvenile myoclonic is the juvenile is like, maybe you'll grow out of it at 18, maybe not, but the, it, it was not that lucky for me. So I still, yeah, here's my little medical bracelet. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. What, how often does this happen to you? Not a lot anymore. I'm, I'm medicated and have a great neuro here in town. So. Okay. Yeah. But when you were down there, you were teaching surf lessons and just having issues. Yeah. Wow. So. That's really sad. Mm -hmm. I'm glad yeah, you're doing well. Ifs. And then you had to come back in high school. So what was that adjustment like? Were people weird? Yeah, yeah like 
who is this? Because <laughs> it works both ways, right? So I just I just went on the rants, you know, defending America, right? Mm-hmm. But I think there is something to be said. I've had really strong experiences going. I think the community values are a lot stronger in other mm-hmm. countries. America, we become so oh. independent for better yes. or worse. We move out of our family's home. I mean, I don't live anywhere close to my family, mm-hmm. right? In other countries, that's unheard of. They're all living together. No, they know the net. same people mm-hmm. their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said for that because you look out for each other. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you experience some of that in Costa Rica mm-hmm. and then you come back and it's just must have been a shock. Yeah, very wild. And that's what you just touched on is uh, very, very true. I went on another trip this summer um, with uh, another delegation trip to El Salvador. And that point about community is so true, especially in a town even as small as, um, I mean, relatively small compared to like bigger cities as Grand Junction and Palisade and Fruta. I, this was a trip of like eight or nine folks. And I'm sitting on the plane with one of my trip mates uh, and I just met her like on a couple pre-trip meetings and we're getting to know each other on, you know, the flight down. And I was like, oh, you know, where do you live in Grand Junction? What streets? Blah, blah, blah. And she literally lives across the street from me. Oh, wow. And I've never, you just don't know your neighbors. You don't, mm. it's not that sense of like closeness of um, block parties or it's just a totally different lifestyle than other countries and how you know everybody, you know, everybody, you know, every everything about everybody and your neighbors and everything like that and so we were just like dying we're like it totally takes us to go to another country to meet each other and you live across the street from me so so. bizarre Mm -hmm. isn't that weird very wild at least you guys were talking on the airplane i always feel that so weird right you sit on an airplane next to someone Mm -hmm. for four hours and you'll not say one word you barely even look at them Mm -hmm. and that's just accepted culture like or behavior in our culture Mm -hmm. i find that so bizarre yeah and yeah same neighbors i mean palisade's nice because you get to know everybody pretty quick. Oh, yeah. But I have neighbors. I have no idea who they are, who what they, they are. do. And we'll say hi sometimes, but it doesn't get beyond that. Mm-hmm. And you feel like, all right, well, I don't want to push it or mm-hmm. whatever. But everyone feels that way, so yeah. it never gets any better. Yeah. What were you guys doing in El Salvador? Uh, we went with um, the Foundation of Cultural Exchange, I think is the name of the organization. Um, and they it's our sister city is down in El Salvador. Um, so we Grand Junction, a, sister city? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so we stayed a little bit in San Salvador and then um, a smaller village and got to meet with these students. And uh, you can sponsor students and help them further their education, whether it's um, primary or like what would be the equivalent of our high school and then all the way to college, which is amazing. And um, it was phenomenal. Again, another life-changing experience where you're with somebody for three or four days but you spend so much time with somebody and um such a different culture that you know everything about somebody by the end of that trip and yeah it was wild i've never been to el salvador what's it like as a country it's phenomenal it's beautiful um they've gone through a lot of political changes recently but it's very safe um we went with actually our mayor anna stout who's been with this program for 19 years now and so she was able through kind of some of the political changes she was mentioning that she was able to take us to places in the city that previously over like the last almost 20 years she wasn't able to um you know take us to which was very interesting how's your spanish now after doing all this travel that helped a little bit um (laughs) yeah my brother is like totally fluent so 
I need to practice with him for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And you go to Chile at the end of the month, you said? Yeah, the 23rd. So they'll be entering their summer. Yeah, spring summer. Yeah, spring mm-hmm. summer. That's kind of cool, too, how you yeah. go down and it's completely different. Yeah. Sandy, uh, Santiago is Denver's sister city, is it not? I or think did I so. make that up? No, that sounds right. Mm. It's yeah. a beautiful city. Mm-hmm. It's. Have you been? Uh, I have, yeah. Yeah, nice. a couple times. Uh couple trips down to Chile and Patagonia, but uh-huh. uh, routing through Santiago. Been over to um, Valparaiso, yeah. which is, you'll love it there. I'm it's so like excited. really gritty, artistic mm-hmm. city. If you go there, I recommend doing a street art tour. Mm-hmm. The street art there it is phenomenal. It looks phenomenal from yeah, what I've the So cool. And it just, it's not, like it just feels really raw and real. Mm-hmm. Like it's a great stage. At least I was there three, four years ago. And it's just, it's super cool. You know, you have a lot of stray dogs, just a lot of characters Mm -hmm. and you don't feel like, you feel like you're in a real place, not a Disneyland. Yeah. And then outside of there, I'm forgetting the name of it, but there's a little wine region that you can visit, which I'm sure you'll go through there, Mm -hmm. which is neat. But Santiago is, it's similar to Denver, maybe a little bigger, but the mountains are just way closer. Mm -hmm. It's surrounded. It's in a little valley bowl and it's just really neat. Yeah. I think you'll love it. Yeah, it's going to be cool. So you do a lot of travel, which makes sense. You're on the Palisade Tourism Board. Yes. Interesting thing, fun fact, you're the only non-Palisade resident to be on the Palisade Tourism Board. Is that true? No, I think there might be a couple others, but I am one of those. Yeah, I don't know who. Because I know um, Jess lives in Grand Junction. Okay, I don't know if I've met Jess. The director of the chamber. I know she lives in Grand Junction. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yes, there. It's also the I. What I think is interesting is it's the only board, a board committee, that um the that Palisade has that you do not have to be a. Eight one five two six. For the tourism board. Yes. You don't. Oh, interesting. You don't have to live in the. Oh, that makes sense because I think uh, like the Talbots were on it and mm-hmm. they're not technically in the town. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What is the reasoning behind that? Do you know? No, okay. <laughs> I could look it up on yeah, our bylaws, but okay. my, I would think that, um, they're really wanting to, um, get more input and more ideas from folks that may not have that, uh, you know, the, the address or the zip code. Um, I have sat on it since I started at cave. So since 2012, wow. I was a chair for a couple of years, a vice chair for a couple of years. And now I just sit. You were the it. chair of the tourism board. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah. Long time ago. What years were that? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> a long time ago, before COVID. Anything BC, it's very hazy. Um, but I am there as a representative of CAVE, which helps give a voice to all of the wineries as um, one seat yeah. uh, for Palisade because you can't have 36. <laughs> totally. Plus, they're quite busy. <laughs> Julianne has agreed and to come Julianne, on. Julianne, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's agreed chair. to come on the pod in a mm-hmm. couple of weeks. We're just figuring our dates out. We're going to wait until probably end of October, November to get nice. the numbers all yes. to come in and mm-hmm. just kind of discuss how tourism's gone. So we don't have to get too into it, but I'm curious from your perspective, what did you think of the summer tourism-wise? In the beginning, I felt like a lot of people were saying, you know, unofficially that tourism felt down and mm-hmm. lighter. But it seemed as busy as ever to me. So I don't it does seem that way, but it is down. It is. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it, like I was mentioning from GovCon and what folks are seeing state and nationally, and you know we have the uh, figures for that as well. And that, that's just an anecdotal thing. I mean, we, I can give you the same feedback here in the office. We there's days where I cannot answer an email. I can't answer the phone because folks are coming in looking for things to do or winery recommendations which is fantastic and we're happy more than happy to you know point them in the right direction but 
does that translate into heads and beds? Does that translate into how long folks are staying in the in the area and how much money they're spending and are they eating at the restaurants to so on and so forth? So Yeah. It's an interesting conversation to have because we look around the world and so many places who have just gone all in on tourism are now just suffering, mm -hmm. at least maybe not economically, but local quality of life issues, mm -hmm. people pushing back on over tourism. And we're so young here that we still have the opportunity to control that one way yes. or the other if we want. So I feel like we're living through a very pivotal time. We are. Because as you know, with tourism, once you let the genie out of the bottle, yes. you can't put it back yep. in. We're fortunate here in Palisades, specifically uh, taking out Grand Junction, is that we don't have that many beds for heads. Mm -hmm. So it'd be very easy for us to appease the hotels mm -hmm. without going overboard. But now with so many wineries and things, there is pressure, I'm sure, to just bring more volume of people to the area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we, I mean, I, and I won't steal Julianne's thunder if you're going to have her on, but um, we work really closely with the Colorado Tourism Office. That uh, kind of full circle back to um, that leadership journey I went through. You have to put a project together for that, pro for that uh, journey, and my project was working with the CTO through a grant in 2019, and uh, the grant was to um, apply for a marketing project essentially and do like kind of re-strategize what tourism advisory board was doing um and we worked really closely with a mentor through the um, cto and it really helped us figure out a roadmap, figure out what we liked what we didn't like figure out a strategy for palisade and since then it's kicked off a like a domino effect of um, in-kind and uh, mar matching marketing grants and things like that that um, TAB has been able to apply for and work hand-in-hand -hand with the CTO since, again, before COVID so long ago. <laughs> um, but I think it set us up, like you had just said, for um, success for sustainable tourism and have a clear direction and a roadmap of what we do want and what we don't want. And we don't just put out these ads that go anywhere and everywhere of like, hey, Palisades open, come visit, like nationwide. It's very specific direct marketing to a certain consumer, certain times of the year, certain times of the week um, to let folks know what's available to them, when it is available to them, um, looking for that kind of ideal traveler. And the on a state level, the Colorado Tourism Office has just produced, it's called um, Do Colorado Right Campaign, working really closely with residents and consumers um, on how to do Colorado right, like how to be a, a, a sustainable traveler and working with um, those folks, you know, in those local towns of what to do, what not to do. And so we're looking forward to um, a working with the CTO on a very like localized Palisade campaign like that. It's so interesting to me. I was just talking to someone today because, you know, I have close Hawaii ties and I work mm -hmm. out there and Lahaina burnt down. Oh. And there's all this just pressure around that reopening to kind of reorganize how it was and everything. And Hawaii's always been good. You know, they're kind of the tourism kings of the world yeah. in, in, in many ways. But they're really good of late about putting out public messages mm -hmm. and trying to help people behave better and mm -hmm. change tourist behavior. And it's so funny because some of the messages, it's like tourists are like kids. It's like, okay, when you go to this place, like respect the people that are there, 
don't throw your trash on the ground. Yeah. If you see people, like in this case, like who are in mourning, like don't take a picture of yeah. them. Don't take a picture of like the gravesite. It's just uh, like, are these people kit? Like a lot of I it know. seems like such common, common sense. sense. It's mm-hmm. kind of like trail etiquette. Mm-hmm. It's like leave no trace. Don't leave your trash. Mm-hmm. But you go on any hike and you see trash. Mm-hmm. And it's just unbelievable. Like I don't know what it is about travel that just makes people completely shut off. <laughs> shut off and be totally ignorant of their behavior yeah. or that they would think that's an okay thing to mm-hmm. do but it's so wild yeah how have people received y'all's messages we're this is a new project yeah so this cool. is um i'm not it's uh, october now so i think that's a um, project and deadline upcoming later this fall for um the do colorado right campaign is i think that um came out this third quarter fourth quarter so we're looking to expand that for just palisade i think next I'd say first quarter springish. Nice. Yeah. Any ideas for specifically the wine industry going into winter? I know that's traditionally a slower time here. Are you guys working on, I don't know, any insight or suggestions for wineries, how they can keep their business going more yeah, all year we, round? Yeah, um, I actually just got a couple of emails from some local wineries that are looking to do like mini wine, winter wine festivals and things like that. Mm. And then um, for local to Palisade and then... Uh, we're always open to help promotion and promote and do marketing for um, our members of, you know, what they have going on, whether it's wine club events or shipping deals, anything like that, holiday parties, um, things like that. Has there ever been a winter festival at Riverbend where you would have like, I'm thinking like mold wine, Mm Maybe, I mean, this is dreaming big, but like put in a little ice skating rink or something, Ooh, little like little like campfires. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like a winter carnival type yeah, thing yeah, with yeah. games and stuff. And I picture a nice sunny, we have such nice winters here. Of course, it would probably blizzard that day, <laughs> but even better, you know, some kind of like wine festival in the winter, yeah. I think would be fun. Yeah. Do you guys partner with Powderhorn at all? or? Tab does and our wineries do for sure. And Ryan is a great friend of ours and still sits on tab. So what's it like if you buy a powder horn ticket, get a free tasting or yes, something like that. Absolutely. And I got to give a shout to Ben an ordinary fellow. I yeah. mean, they were doing the DJ parties, yes. uh, pray, which is really cool. Amazing. Uh, because and then they're doing like, they're partnering with Priscilla and doing the history yep. tours and, Yep. I was really happy for them. They just got a bunch of their wines scored over a 90. Yes, and, a decanter. Yeah. They're getting amazing press. And he told me that that was the first Colorado mm-hmm. wine ever to score above a 90, which may or may not be true. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I misunderstood him, but that's cool. Either way, that's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. That like, Do you feel that's pretty, oh, huge. pretty good for Again, the industry, obviously? Like we were chatting earlier about how far the industries come in not only just growth and, and where you can get Colorado wine, but the press and the uh, accolades we've received um, is insane. And to see press like that it totally changes folks uh mentality and and mindset when you're seeing colorado wine be written up in decanter wine enthusiast wine spectator because i i still to this day will run into folks that'll say oh i tried colorado wine 10 years ago 15 years ago not for me yeah and i'm like what is what is your preference red or white i will buy you i will buy you a bottle we must you know give it another chance and uh or you know send them one of those articles and it just adds so much credibility whether you like reading wines or you know like reading uh those publications um you can't deny that seeing a colorado wine or a a local palisade winery or front range winery in those publications 
means so much and, and goes so far for our industry. Totally. Especially if you have someone from California who's mm-hmm. going to think, oh, there's no good wine outside of mm-hmm. California. It helps. So yeah. in that scenario with your friend, what wine would you buy them if they would? Ah, <laughs> nice gotcha. <try>. <laughs> you <laughs> got to represent all I, the wine. Uh, yes. I, get, I love them know. all equally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, it must be hard, though, mm-hmm. to some degree. Yeah. Because you're representing a large area, and of course, we all have personal preferences, but yeah. your job is to treat them all equally. Yeah. Maybe hence such a fine line between your private and yes. public life, huh? Mm-hmm. So, how do you decompress? I mean, you like live music, you were saying. I love live music. Uh, my partner's in a band, my brother's in a band. I go see concerts as much as possible. I'm also play? a gamer. You're a gamer. Mm-hmm. What do you play? Uh, I've <laughs> no wonder you were comfortable with the headset. Now I yes. see. You're like, I got this. <laughs> uh, I've been, I've played World of Warcraft since like vanilla. I have carpal tunnel in my left wrist. Really? Because of WoW. Um, but wow. now it's more Switch. Yeah. What's that? Switch. Nintendo Switch? Yeah. Oh. It's a console. What kind of, like RPG games? No, I'm trying to re-roll Skyrim on Switch, but it's just easy because it's on. Re-roll? Is that a gamer term? Yeah, like you replay a character. Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wait, you've already done it and you do it again? Yeah, because I played it a long time ago Mm. on a PC, but I need to get a new PC. I see. It's probably not a good idea. Me too. I'll just start playing WoW again. But so re-rolling means that you're playing the same game again. Yeah. But all games where they take a long time to... Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And then I'm also... um, I've gotten really into Pokemon. What? <laughs> so I, what year is that? The new Pokemon <laughs> game just came out on Switch. So my friends and I all are into the what do you do? Pokemon. You got to catch them all. Wait, are you the one of those people that's like standing <laughs> on the street corner with their phone trying to get the new Pokemon? No, it's on uh, the Switch. So, okay. Yeah. You but do you remember to... that when people oh, yeah. would be on your yeah. Like, because you had Pokemon to be in a certain. Go. Okay, mm-hmm. I never understood that, yeah. but I would always see clusters of people in different places. Uh-huh. Wow. Do you have a gaming chair? No, I need to get a new one. Oh, okay. Because I my PC, yeah. It's the PC first, then comes the chair. Okay. Yeah. We went to a lot of the same concerts this summer. Yeah, you're saying you were... Um... Well, I saw you from afar at Incubus. Oh, yeah. And that was my first time to Las Colonias. <gasps> Did you have fun? I loved it. Yeah, it was great. I didn't really know what to expect. I'd never even been to the, the venue, venue before. But it's great. Even with general admission, you're right there. Amazing. I just think that... It's really cool for the city mm-hmm. and the, the acts. Like you said, you just went to Ludacris mm-hmm. this weekend, right? Last night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how was that? <laughs> amazing. Has he you, still got it? Oh, amazing. So good. Yeah. I went to Incubus. I like that. Relive the 90s. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Dead & Co. in Boulder. I believe you went as well. <gasps> yeah, yeah. I was there the second night. Okay. I did all three. How? Yeah. You got to see the drone show and DMB. Dude, that was crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, that day, one of our girlfriends was in the bathroom and she came out and she's like, I just heard the juiciest rumor. We're like, oh. what? And we're like, okay, yeah, let us know. She uh-huh. said, oh, yeah, there's going to be a drone show at the and end. A special and guest. the special guest is going to be Dave Matthews. Mm-hmm. And we laughed at her for so oh, long. No, and then and she... literally all throughout the show, yep. we would just be like, hey, Whitney, when's DMB coming out? <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, it happened. It was wild. Yeah. It was cool. There's rumors now, because John Mayer's done with Dead & Co., mm-hmm. that Dave is somehow going to work his way in, which oh. doesn't seem quite like a fit yeah. for me, but we'll see. It was awesome, though. Yeah. Had you ever seen them before? No, and I'm yeah. named after the Grateful Dead. You are? I'm named after, yeah, Born to Me Cassidy. Wow. Off the Ace album. So your dad was a deadhead yes. surfer bro. Uh, yes. Um, so I, that was my first time ever seeing Bobby or anybody. And I, because of my epilepsy, I am one of the small percentage of epileptics that are photosensitive to strobe lights. Mm. 
which makes Doesn't live music like, like concerts like, would be a good fit for you. Rough. Um, and so I always wear a scarf and like sunglasses in case there's too many lights or too many strobe Oh, I lights. thought that was because you're on drugs. <laughs> no, it's because I'm afraid of like the light changing. So um, the Dead & Co. show was totally fine. There wasn't any strobe lights, but I still brought it because I have never, the only time I've been to Folsom Field was running the Boulder Boulder forever ago and mm. it was daytime. But I'm like, it's a huge stadium. There's, it's a sold out show. I don't know. And I'm so happy I brought that scarf because I was just bawling <laughs> the whole show. I was like, this You're is crying? so insane. It's so beautiful. It was so amazing. It was so emotional. And then I wanted to stay for the second night, but I had bought floor tickets to see Blink-182 the next night. And um, that was... Where were they at? Pepsi the Center? Pepsi Center. How was that? Amazing. Did Tim ever tell you his story about going to Mexico City for the Blink-182 concert? Uh-uh. He traveled all the way down there and then they canceled the show. No. Yeah. Oh, because of Travis's finger? Exactly. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah you have to ask him about oh, it. Wow. He was pretty bummed, but he still got to hang out in Mexico City. How was the show? Did they still got it? Amazing. Really? So They good. play just all the classics yeah. and Amazing, everything's the yeah. same. Mm-hmm. They used to be pretty raunchy live. They would make all it these immature jokes. Very, and, no, so. Nothing has changed. Same. Even though they're like 50 now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was like a total spectrum weekend of like, all live impro improvised show to the exact same set list everything timed light show timed for those two shows but very happy i saw both of them yeah it's cool to see the difference right some bands they just have it all dialed in yeah. and you almost feel like oh i'm listening to the album and then a dead and co show it's where like, it's like we don't know what's gonna every happen. song is different yeah. from when they played it last time mm-hmm. john mayer is a guitar god he's amazing do you remember him when he first came yeah. out your body is a wonderland yeah. in high school <laughs> I liked him, but it was as a dude in high school, you're kind of like, yeah, like you listen to it by yourself in the car yeah. but, or with your girlfriend, mm-hmm. but not around your boys. And now look at him. I mean, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. His like progression. Yeah. It's kind of admirable. Mm-hmm. I wonder what he'll do next in terms of solo, if he's going to do something more jammy or. I don't know. I'm in a lot of different like band groups and message boards. I have a re- really weird you go on Reddit? No. Okay. <laughs> I, had, I collect posters, like band posters. So I'm in all these like tool groups, Primus groups, dead groups. And so there's a lot of talk about where, if they're going to get together or where he's going to What's go the next, latest so. rumor? They all want them to go do a residency at the Sphere in Vegas. That would be amazing. <laughs> and same with Duel. Yeah. Did you see the so, U2 concert? Oh my concert? God, it was incredible. That looks yeah. so cool. Mm-hmm, yeah. I really want to go see Fish in Vegas because uh-huh. they used to do the Halloween show, uh-huh. but they haven't done it the last few years. Uh-huh. I feel like the Sphere would be awesome. Yeah. That looks like an amazing venue. Yeah. Are you going to go? I don't know. At some mean, point, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Julie and I went to the Avalon for a show, uh-huh. and it was a total swing and a miss for us. What did you see? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> it was some just solo act. He used to be in a band, and honestly, we didn't know much about him. But Was it the Wilco guy? It wasn't Wilco. It was even older than that. And that was sort of the issue because we're like, oh, this is a historic theater. We had never been inside. We're like, let's go to a show. Who cares who you see kind of vibe. And I think he was old like blues guitarist. Mm -hmm. So we're like, oh, this will be great. It was a total snooze. Like it was almost like whispering to each other. You felt like you were being too loud. The theater itself, I mean, just my personal opinion, like I didn't find it that historic or like we were picturing some like really historic kind of thing. It felt more... I hate to say it, but like a high school auditorium. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they we were just great history. They've rebuilt it, or re they've refurbished it. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure it does. And yeah. had we seen it, I feel like it'd be great for a comedy show or something like that, where it's not 
Like the idea is to sit down. Look, like nobody was standing up. Nobody was no. dancing. It was probably our expectations as well. Yeah. But we it was a swing and a miss. So what are your what's your guide to live music in the valley? Like where should we go to see a, a hip show? Amphitheater is great, but for venue and space and sound, I love Mesa Theater. I haven't been. Oh yeah. yeah. And they've got all kinds of great shows coming up, but it's you it's very intimate. Almost every act will stick around after and like grab a drink at the bar and really, yeah. do they get big acts like Ludacris gonna play there? Or? No, it, no, it depends. I think the capacity is like a thousand ish. So oh, it's small. If it's yeah. bigger than that, they'll send them to the amphitheater. I think so. I just saw Andy Frasco there. Okay, do you know not, who Andy I don't know Frasco who he is. No, in the UN, he's a um, podcaster, but a great performer out of Denver, and. Got to hang out with him after the show, which was really fun. So. I only know about music after someone tells me oh, about it. Darn. You know, you're like the pioneer. Yeah. You discover all the new stuff, <laughs> and then people like you tell me about it. It would be awesome to have a music venue in Palisade. Yeah. It would be neat. I know they have, obviously, they book a lot of shows at the brewery. And Charles and the Talbots have space up there. They have there a stage up there. They do a lot of stuff. That's right. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of um, shows yeah. in the outdoor stage. I originally, before Ordinary Fellow took over that building, I was hoping oh, that yeah. would become kind of like a, I'm very happy with what it's become, but yeah. that would have been a neat mm-hmm. concert venue there. Yeah. Oh, you know where we went recently was um, the Lake Dillon Amphitheater. Oh, yeah. I've never seen a show there. It's awesome. We Who'd saw We saw a reggae festival. It was oh, Revolution, cool. Iration, mm-hmm. Oh, they're coming to, all. they're all coming to Mesa Theater. All of them? Revolution too? Maybe. I know. I think it's Iration, Iration and Expendables. Yeah, maybe those two. It's awesome. It's right on the lake. Yeah. It's all just GA. Uh-huh. And for Revolution was the, the main act. And without effort, we were second row. Oh, cool. Like you didn't even have to shoulder like, anybody. Try. It's very chill. Oh, very nice. It's an amp- like a very steep amphitheater, mm-hmm. like steeper than Las Colonias. Mm-hmm. And so people get in early to set up their chairs and mm-hmm. get their spot. But the floor is pretty much open that's and, awesome you know there's some knuckleheads down there but you just find your way yeah and we were second row for revolution it was nice. great yeah and that's just awesome. you can walk up to the top of it and see the whole lake and a lot of people that do red rocks come up there the yeah. night after yeah so we were thinking of going to the same show at red rocks like but that's the worst part of the drive i know when you get past there uh, so i was like let's just do dylan let's do something different that's awesome it was awesome very cool yeah it was neat do you play any instruments? Because it seems like everyone around you is in bands. No, I'm a tapper, <laughs> a tapper. <laughs> dancer, but that's about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell me about this dancing background. What is that? You yes. did that your whole life? Yes. What, what kind of dance? Um, Since you were two? Yeah, that's when I started. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, tap, jazz, ballet, modern, a little bit of everything. Is that like so called studio dance? How's, what is that called? Just dance. Just dance. <laughs> and you would do competitions. No, I was not a competition dancer. Okay. No. You would do it just for fun. Yeah. And how long? For a long time. <laughs> 33 years. Oh, you still do it? <laughs> no, oh. not as much. Um, I danced all the way through college. And then for the first three years, four years um, with Cave, I taught also. You taught dance? Uh-huh. Really? Um, and then I was like, oh, this isn't fair to the kiddos. I did my minis, which were three to five-year-olds, advanced tap and jazz for like high school age kids and then my adults and I was teaching like three classes a week and then doing a recital at the end of the year with them while doing this position and it it was too much so I yeah, had to you let it go mm-hmm. oh wait did you tell me you had both your hips replaced yes I really had two hip surgeries wow mm-hmm. just when from dancing mm-hmm. just from being on your tippy toes I how know, does that affect uh, your hips <laughs> yeah both of my ligaments were torn 
um, my labrums were torn, and then I had six to ten bone spurs inside of each hip socket. What kind of dance uh, is this? Like, what are <laughs> we talking about? Like, I had <laughs> them done at Stedman Hawkins. It was poor ballet training when I was very young, and the way it was described to me was just I um, have very shallow hip sockets and just wasn't built for the amount of what I was doing to my body. Was it your teacher was at fault? Do you blame your teacher? Yeah, just bad form. And oh. I was dancing a lot and continued to dance a lot, um, just putting my body through the paces. You're like so. the youngest person to have a hip replacement ever. 16, yeah. But both of them are artificial, your hips. No, nothing's oh. fake in them. Oh. They're just kind of put back together. I see. Mm-hmm. Do you still have problems with it? Uh, no, but I can definitely tell you when it's going to snow. Oh, really? <laughs> or when it's going to rain. You have that sense? <laughs> yeah. What does that feel like? Just very, very sore, very achy. I always thought that was a wise tale. No. no. I joke that I'm like a literal barometer. Like, oh. Is it the pressure? Yeah. And I have uh, tendonitis and arthritis. It's just, it's very hard. Dancing is very hard on your body. So when the pressure drops, like a storm is coming in, mm-hmm. that's when you start to feel sore mm-hmm. and you yeah. can literally say like bad yeah. weather's on I'm the like, way. it's coming guys. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. That's kind of sad though. Do you feel like like your childhood screwed you over? No. 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 <laughs> I mean, I used to wakeboard and snowboard and do all of the fun sports, but you make choices. Yeah. Of, do you want to be a professional dancer? Do you want to do all these extreme sports or do you want to have a career <laughs> that won't cause you extreme pain and excessive medical bills? This is a shame that it's something when you're so young. Yeah. You know, I threw out my back when I was 23 due to a variety of just oh Im- improper workouts mm-hmm. or just going too hard, whatever it was. And it affects me. It continues to affect me. Yeah. You know? And it's just, I, you know, it's things can affect you the rest of your life, but you're too young to like care. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, whatever. Bulletproof. Yeah. And then now you get old. It all catch up with me. It does. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. I didn't realize that, correct me if I'm wrong, the first time you came out here was for college to the Grand Valley? No, we moved back. Um, so we lived in Castle Rock, moved to Costa Rica. And then when we moved back to the States, we rented a truck, like a moving truck, our whole family and our three labs in LA, flew into LAX and then literally just drove East and did not know where we were going to live. So we stopped in like Mesquite, St. George, little towns. And would, um, I remember my parents would just stop people like walking their dogs and like, Hey, do you like living here? How's the school system? (laughs) And then we would just keep driving. And then landed in Grand Junction. And my dad actually lived here when he was young, like very young, and fell, you know, fell fell in love with the area and found a house and started high school and landed here. I wonder what question he asked that gave the right answer. (laughs) But literally, you just stopped here, like, Uh and then it was like, okay, this is the place? Yeah. That's so wild. Yeah. So your dad's like a real, I need to meet your dad now. Yeah. He seems like, is he still in the area? <laughs> yeah, they live in the Redlands. Really? Yeah. Is he a big hippie still? Or? Yeah. What was it like back then when you came here? Uh, my brother and I joked because he's like, oh, you're going to love Grand Junction. I lived here, I think like when he was six or 10, very young. So he has stories about like the zoo in Lincoln Park, like hearing the lion roar at night like old, old Grand Junction stories. and There's a lion there? There was. There was an actual zoo at Lincoln Park. For, it had like a lion and a tiger, I think. Really? And so, but my brother and I gave him a hard time and we're like, yeah, every town is cool when you're like a 10-year-old boy. Like we just came <laughs> from surfing every day and like this amazing adventure and now, you know, we're here. But it, again, it was a great learning experience and a total shift. And um, I think my brother and I are very um, appreciative of, 
our life and how we grew up and having the family we do have and yeah but what was the valley like back then because have you seen it must have changed oh incredibly yeah it's much much different Mm -hmm. i went to fruita monument high school Um, my brother was homeschooled he didn't want to go to school so being able to go to high school and seeing that change and just how how much the valley's grown has been really interesting was downtown grand junction a thing back then yeah but not to the extent it is now yeah um and the school was much different like the college I should, or the university now. I actually just did like a walkthrough um, a couple weeks ago, and it's insane to see how much it's grown. Because I graduated in 2011, and um, my partner and I were laughing. We're like, this is so nice. Should we go back and like get another degree <laughs> and like <laughs> be part of it again to just yeah. see all the amenities and how it's a total little community. Can and you, we live close downtown, you know, to it. So, can you just go back to school as a freshman at age fifty? Absolutely, you can. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't live in the dorms. I'm guessing yeah. they have some kind of. Why would you want to? <laughs> I don't know. If you're a creepo, I guess. Yeah. I always think of that because I was watching a game last night, and one of the players like could have been a doctor, but decided not to. Yeah. And they were talking about how he might go back to school, and it's like, what a wild experience if you're just in freshman chemistry, but you're 45. I just met. Somebody like that uh, last weekend. Really? Mm-hmm. He's going back to school as a freshman and, yeah, late 40s, maybe early 50s. And, and just like, wants to go, yeah, go back and keep learning. And I think it'd be fun. I like the adult continuing education classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm not going to commit to like a whole the whole thing of yeah. like four-year degree, but yeah. just doing like classes on little things you want to do. For sure. What's next for you? Well, you go to Chile. And then yep. will you finally rest for the winter? Yeah, we work uh, through the winter because Vinco takes place this year. Well, next year it'll be January 15th through the 18th. So we time like some holiday breaks, but then come right back and put that event on. Yeah. Should the public um, come to that? Like, what's They're more than welcome to if you're interested in winemaking or grape growing. We partner with the Western Colorado Horticultural Society. So if there's a bunch of peach sessions and anything on stone fruit. Mm. If you're peach about grower. how to grow it and mm-hmm. things like that. Yep. Okay, so if you're an amateur farmer or mm-hmm. something, you mentioned there's an amateur winemaking competition. Yes. What's mm-hmm. the deal with that? We put on an amateur winemaking competition each year. That's happening right now, and it's open to anybody. Anybody. So we actually get entries from like Utah, Texas. The majority of them are from Colorado, and you. You can enter kit wines. You can enter wines you've made with Colorado grapes. Um, and then we judge them in November, and we present the awards and medals at the conference in January. And what do you get if you win? A medal and a certificate. Okay. Not um, like a winery. <laughs> but <laughs> what is really cool is we've actually, since my time with Cave, we've actually seen, I'd say, four amateurs that have entered consistently they receive judges' comments and feedback of, oh, you you know, we're tasting this. There might be a fault or this is absolutely phenomenal. They're receiving consistent silver, gold, double gold wines or best in show. And they enter year over year. And then the next year they they call us and they're like, we'd like to register as a commercially licensed winery. So That's they so take that cool. next step and they're, um, you know, become part of the Colorado wine the industry. Fam. Julianne was one of those wineries. I was just going to say. She it's, was an yeah. amateur for many years, and then in 2020. She won the competition? She won so many medals, yeah. but then in 2020, she called, and um, she's like, we're doing it. We're opening a winery, and we're like, absolutely. You've been winning consistently. You have amazing, you know, commercially viable wine, absolutely. So it's really exciting to see that next generation of winemakers. 
great you bring up Julianne, like her tasting room, Vin's 979 is so cool. It's like a Western saloon. Uh One of the things I love about Palisade is that everyone, we're at a stage where everyone is still taking a unique approach. Mm -hmm. Whereas you go to Sonoma or Napa, Mm -hmm. there's such a history there and such strong marketing ties where, I mean, you could probably see this where marketing pushes everyone in one direction because they decide, okay, like Cabernet is what we're doing. doing. So do Cabernet and we're going to market it and we're going to be the place for that. Palisade, we're kind of still figuring that out. Mm -hmm. You know, the cold hardy seems to be a trend that I'm hearing from a lot of people, Mm -hmm. a direction we're going. And so one day we may all be on that same track, but for right now, you're really seeing the personality and all the different wineries come out. Whereas you have a VIN 79 Western saloon, you have a restoration. That's like a big, you know, field and this beautiful view. You have a Sauvage that's more of this industrial feel. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so cool and unique for wine countries that are young and still blooming. Yeah. And that's not only Palisade, that's statewide for sure. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I exclude everyone else because we're no, sitting sorry. here in Palisade. My bad. I know <laughs> no you want to work that in. Honestly, when I lived in Denver, I never went wine tasting. Yeah. It just wasn't on my mind. For mm-hmm. me, being in wine country adds so much to that. Absolutely. Right. You go to a bar and order a glass of wine. Sure. But if I'm in an urban area and Ben would probably kick me for saying this, but yeah. you know, I remember the first time going to IMT, IMT. and thinking like, what is this? I guess this is kind of cool. But I was in such a beer phase of my life back yeah. then, you know, I was just a young idiot. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't that sophisticated, but it's neat to see how it's all come about. And I think just the journey out here, you know, that's why Palisade is the home. I'm mm-hmm. sure to this wine fest, just yeah. you have that, such that feel. The Colorado wine country and yeah, yeah it's yeah. very experiential. Yeah. And I think, I think it's going to continue to grow a lot thanks to your so hard work, perhaps. It's not <laughs> just us, but yeah, it takes a community and I would not have my position or be here without the wineries and the growers and definitely the resiliency of this industry. I mean, 2020, I think, showed us a lot of the sense of community and collaboration and what this industry can endure. We don't ever want to do that again, but yeah. um, that was a really humbling experience and I think about that a lot of um just the honor it is to work in this industry and work for the wineries and the growers to help push them forward and having that ability to do so do you think the the grape has surpassed the peach that's a good question i think they're two different markets yeah um i wouldn't want them one to you know outrank the other i think they are complementary but yeah it's just interesting when you think about land values and what Mm -hmm. people will be planning in the future And what is going to carry the most value going forward? It's not something we like to think about, but it's definitely something that's going to happen as mm-hmm. new people come in and decide what to yeah. do with lands. Yeah. But all oh, good. I mean, they're both fun. Yeah. So we enjoy them now while we can. Yeah. I know you got to go, but one last question. Yeah, you have you. a front row seat to downtown Palisade. Yes. You live here, basically. Yes. I'm curious what you think of downtown Palisade and just its evolution and like, what is your need? Like, what do you do? Do you go to lunch around here? Yeah. Are you, yes. like, what would you like to see in Palisade? I know a lot of places are kind of revitalizing and turning over. Yes, that I joke all the time that I try and, I mean, it's changed extensively, I'd say, over the last couple of years. But there was a time where I'm like, I'm single-handedly trying to keep all these restaurants alive because I am <laughs> the worst at, like, making my own lunch. <laughs> or because I live in Grand Junction, but obviously work in Palisade. So yeah. um, I eat downtown. I try and visit as many establishments as possible but yeah yeah is there any super need that you feel like oh like i wish they had this shop i would definitely go to that or 
I think sitting on tab, we've definitely been hearing of just opening times of when people are open. And mm. I think it's definitely shifted um, for over the past, I'd say, two years. On Mondays, there used to be nothing open. Mel and I would be the only office literally in downtown that would be open. And so people would be like, we don't know what you are, but we're coming in. <laughs> You're open. <laughs> yeah, what do you got? Um, we're coming. We want to say hi. Um, and it's exciting to see that shift. I think eateries... Um, are always a good thing, but I know that that coincides with the winery establishments. Like people want to grab a bite while they're out, while they're out tasting wine. I don't know, I don't know if that is a the answer is food trucks or things like that. But I know more retail and um, just things for folks to purchase and buy and shop downtown is always um, good and vibrant for you know downtown. Yeah, Main I'm not Street. I'm not a big shopper, but I hear the Merc. Yes, is really so cool. cool. That yeah. is such a great addition. Uh, like a boutiquey kind that's of shop. Awesome. I hear mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, Harlow Harlow's is great. Yeah, the Blue Pig is going to have a new cafe there, yeah. which is going to be neat. Uh-huh. There was a long time a, a rumor that it was going to be a brewery. That's not true. Oh, it's going to be more of a coffee wine bar vibe. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they're going to open in the next couple of weeks mm. with the cafe. That'll be nice. I know That's Cygnus, awesome. we're going to all of a sudden have like nine coffee oh, shops. Oh, we went from none to... Yeah, because <laughs> Slice of Life's rocking. Yeah. And then or I guess Slice, of the course. The Blue Pig but, is yep. replacing Copica. Yep. And then Cygnus. Nice. They're going to open their thing and have gelato, Good. which would be cool. The M&M building over here, I don't know what's going to happen to that. It's for sale right now. This uh, right by the train tracks, uh-huh. so used like old construction yeah. company that was out of there. Huh. That's for sale. I think the laundromat's for sale. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, wish I had the money to buy up all this stuff. I know. Goodness. <laughs> if only I had been here 13 years ago, you know. <laughs> Should a Palisade local come in here? Absolutely. Yeah, so we have everything from Winefest posters and Winefest swag, like what we sell at the retail tent at Winefest. We have information on events, on wine tastings, what's, you know, what's going on in the world of Palisade. And then we also have information for statewide things. So we have, if folks are doing a tasting or wanting to travel to the Front Range or the Four Corners or West Elks, we have the map of um, the West Elks AVA and the wineries up in that area. So if you're traveling from out of the area and wanting to learn about wine, stop in. If you live here and want to do a day trip or a weekend trip um, to another wine area in the state, come in. Yep. If you just have questions, if you want to pet a dog, <laughs> if <laughs> you want to come you, hang out and, with Mel and I, yes. Distract you. <laughs> yes. Um, we're here Monday through Friday, uh, normally 9 to 4. Um, I have had folks come in and they're like, we try and see you, but you're always closed. And it's just Mel and I in the office. So if I am, if I have a sponsor meeting or am out doing uh, a million other events, it is just the two of us. So we're a small but mighty team. So we are closed sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I have to apologize no, for that fair sometimes. Enough. I mean, you deserve the break. Jeez. There's uh, meetings that happen outside of the, the office often. So yeah. Do you have a dream for Winefest? the size that we did this year, is that something that you would say is your ideal or yes. do you say like, Hey, we'd love to even get it even bigger. Or? Yes. I actually just finished our um, report. We do a final report for our board and sponsors and things like that, or anybody that's interested. And we pulled numbers. I'm a nerd and I love data. And back in 18, 19, even 17, we were seeing about 65 to 6,800 attendees and that's everybody. That number is tickets sold. That is our volunteers. That is the staff it takes to put the event on. So every winery and vendor receive a certain allocation of staff bands. 
that's my staff. Um, but we count all of those folks because with the exception of like Mel and I, um, those volunteers and those winery and vendor staff, they usually shift out during the day and they'll go taste wine. They'll go make purchases. So we count them as bodies in the park because they're part of the event. They're yeah, purchasing sense. wine. They're taking, you know, they're in the park. Anywho, so those numbers were upwards of 65 to 6,800 in the park back in 18, 17, 18, and 19. 2020, we obviously canceled the event. 21, we went to that two-day model. And when we went to that two-day model, we started pulling our capacity way down. And we did that to ourselves. We weren't told to do that. Um, I get that question a lot, like, oh, did the fire department, or is there like an, a capacity at Winefest? And we were literally just walking through or, you know, golf carting through with our little uh, radios. And at about 1 or 2 p.m. in the park, you can feel it's too much. You can't you can't walk through the aisles. It's shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. And so internally, we had a conversation with our committee and our board and our event staff. And it became very clear, and it always has been, our event is, a, you know, we're very into customer service. We want people to leave with a really great experience about the wine industry and our wineries and what we do. And we made that hardline rule of it's quality over quantity. So we pulled the whole event down to, I think, like 44 or 4,800 tickets sold. And then there's another 1,000 plus plus, which are the volunteers, the vendors, the staff, so on and so forth. And we are just finishing our survey data right now. And the feedback is, it was so calm. We could walk everywhere. There was so yeah. much space. And so that is, and I think forever will be our number yeah that's nice i mean there is something to be said about you know just the quality of the experience and not being shoulder to shoulder yeah. all the time you expect a small lineup but especially the stress of the pours because if they see it's a long line behind you they're gonna and be you're like, like just fill it up yeah like hey i want to learn more <laughs> they're like get the hell out of no, here no we want people to just have yeah. a calm chill day and be able to talk with one another be able to talk with the wineries and yeah absolutely not feel like jesus there's 85 people in line in front of me or i can't walk or get through did you get any negative feedback because i checked facebook the during the day of the event and after and i was shocked there was no negative feedback usually every event we have there's some kind of facebook post with mm -hmm. some drama and there wasn't it was seemed like it went great yeah yeah no all good um we always i mean when we put our survey out there's always a few things one of my favorite questions or not questions responses um if you live here locally uh, you knew that there was quite a rainstorm that happened <laughs> Friday before Wine yeah. Fest. So we have a phenomenal team that was down at the park setting up Wine Fest during that torrential oh, downpour of like yeah. 50 minutes. That was a big rain. It yeah. was a lot. We lost some tents for sure. But our team is so incredible. We reset everything. And so Saturday morning came and you would not know what happened down there. <laughs> yeah. But one of the uh, survey responses was, so cute. It was, could you please have attendees not pour their wine out on the grass? It was really wet. <laughs> and we're like, oh, if you only knew what happened yeah. like 12 hours before, yeah. it is not wine. <laughs> oh it was God. soaking wet because of all of the rain. That's cute. So That's awesome. And you're already working on next year's, I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah, I actually um, will be out of the office this Friday and Monday. We re-sign all of our sponsors. Um, we re-update our website. Our tickets will go on sale the end of the month of November for next year. Oh, wow. We do a Cyber Monday uh, ticket blast. And 
putting information out for call for musicians and it just starts all over again yeah that's awesome well we thank you for your hard work and doing it we look forward to vinco yeah thanks for taking some time to chat with me on the pod appreciate you have fun in chile i want to hear how it is when you get back (laughs) absolutely we'll share another glass of colorado wine that sounds great thanks so much cassidy thank you Yes, now I'm riding the terrain, flying high up once again. Got my crew sitting healthy and my boo living wealthy. Level 99, never settle in my mind. So I pedal and I climb up the pedestal and find almighty weapons. So I calm lightly step into the castle, satchel, tackled, wrestled. Down the corridor where I'm grounded through the floor. Roundhouse into my core, down, out, and through the door. Sword down at my side, I gotta round up and ride. Face boss, break jaws till I take off, face off. Stop and swing my serious strike This is it Take the title Disappear in the night To the whole wide world Got the keys to the kingdom Overseas with the wisdom Guarantee that my rhythm Hit the whole wide world Slay the boss in the castle When we cross final battle Then I walk out travel To the whole wide world Got the keys to the kingdom Overseas with the wisdom Guarantee that my rhythm Hit the whole wide world Slay the boss in the castle When we cross final battle Then I walk out travel To the whole